Jeremiah chapter 51. Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will stir up the spirit of a destroyer against Babylon, against the inhabitants of Lebkamai, and I will send to Babylon winnowers, and they shall winnow her, and they shall empty her land, and when they come against her from every side, they shall empty her land when they come against her from every side on the day of trouble. Let not the archer bend his bow, and let him not stand up in his armor. Spare not her young men, devote to destruction all her army. They shall fall down slain in the land of the Chaldeans, and, the wound, and wounded in her streets. For Israel and Judah have not been forsaken by their God, Yahweh of hosts. But the land of the Chaldeans is full of guilt against the Holy One of Israel. Flee from the midst of Babylon, let everyone save his life. Be not cut off in her punishment. For this is the time of Yahweh's vengeance, the repayment He is rendering her. Babylon was a golden cup in Yahweh's hand, making all the, nation, uh, uh, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine, therefore the nations went mad. Suddenly Babylon has fallen and been broken. Well for her. Take balm for her pain, perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she was not healed. Forsake her, and let us go each, into, each to his own country. For her judgment has reached up to heaven, and has been lifted up even to the skies. Yahweh has brought, down, uh, has brought about our vindication. Come, let us declare in Zion the work of Yahweh our God. Sharpen the arrows, take up the shields. Yahweh has stirred up the spirit of the kings of the Medes because His purpose concerning Babylon is to destroy it. For that is the vengeance of Yahweh, the vengeance for His temple. Set up a standard among, against the walls of Babylon. Make the watch strong. Set up watchmen. Prepare the ambushes. For Yahweh has plan, both planned and done what He spoke concerning the inhabitants of Babylon. O you who dwell by many waters, rich in treasures, your end has come. The thread of your life is cut. Yahweh of hosts has sworn by himself, surely I will fill you with men as many as locusts, and they shall raise the shout of victory over you. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens. And he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols. For his images are false, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob. For he is the one who formed all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. Yahweh of hosts is his name. You are my hammer and weapon of war. With you I break nations in pieces. With you I destroy kingdoms. With you I break in pieces the horse and his rider. With you I break in pieces the chariot and the charioteer. With you I break in pieces man and woman. With you I break in pieces the old man and the youth. With you I break in pieces the young man and the young woman. With you I break in pieces the shepherd and his flock. With you I break in pieces the farmer and his team. With you I break in pieces governors and commanders. 
I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea before your very eyes for all the evil that they have done in Zion, declares Yahweh. Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, declares Yahweh, which destroys the whole earth. I will stretch out my hand against you and roll you down from the crags and make you a burnt mountain. No stone shall be taken from you for a corner and no stone for a foundation, but you shall be a perpetual waste, declares Yahweh. Set up a standard on the earth. Blow the trumpet again among the nations. Prepare the nations for war against her. Summon against her the kingdoms, Ararat, Minai, and Ashkenaz. Appoint a marshal against her. Bring up horses like bristling locusts. Prepare the nations for war against her, the kings of the Medes with their governors and deputies, and every land under their dominion. The land trembles and writhes in pain, for Yahweh's purposes against Babylon stand, to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitant. The warriors of Babylon have ceased fighting. They remain in their strongholds. Their strength has failed. They have become women. Her dwellings are on fire. Her bars are broken. One runner runs to meet another, and one messenger to meet another, to tell the king that the city is taken on every side. The fords have been seized. The marshals are burned with fire, and the soldiers are in panic. For thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, The daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor at the time when it is trodden. Yet a little while, and the time of her harvest will come. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has devoured me. He has crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me like a monster. He has filled his stomach with my delicacies. He has rinsed me out. The violence done to me and to my kinsmen be upon Babylon, let the inhabitant of Zion say. My blood be upon the the inhabitants of Chaldea, let Jerusalem say. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will plead your cause and take vengeance for you. I will dry up her sea and make her fountain dry. And Babylon shall become a heap of ruins, the haunt of jackals, a horror, and a hissing without inhabitant. They shall roar together like lions. They shall growl like lions' cubs. When they are inflamed, I will prepare them a feast and make them drunk, that they may become merry. Then sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake, declares Yahweh. I will bring them down like lambs to the slaughter, like, lamb, like rams and male goats. How Babylon has taken the praise of the whole earth seized. How Babylon has become a horror among the nations. The sea has, become, has come up on Babylon. She is covered with its tumultuous waves. Her cities have become a horror, a land of drought and a desert. A land in which no one dwells and through which no son of man passes. And I will punish Bel and Babylon and take out of his mouth what he has swallowed. The nations shall no longer flow to him. The wall of Babylon has fallen. Go out of the midst of her, my people. Let everyone save his life from the fierce anger of Yahweh. Let not your heart faint and be not fearful at the report heard in the land. When a report comes in one year and afterward a report in another year. And violence is in the land and ruler is against ruler. Therefore, behold, the days are coming when I will punish the images of Babylon. Her whole land shall be put to shame, and all her slain shall fall in the midst of her. Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them shall sing for joy over Babylon. For the destroyer shall come against them out of the north, declares Yahweh. Babylon must fall for the slain of Israel, just as for Babylon have fallen the slain of all the earth. 
You who have escaped from the sword, go, do not stand still. Remember Yahweh from far away and let Jerusalem come into your mind. And we are put to shame, for we have heard reproach. Dishonor has covered our face, for foreigners have come into the holy places of Yahweh's house. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will, I will execute judgment on her, upon her images and throughout and through her land, all her land. The wounded shall groan, though Babylon should mount up to heaven, and though she should fortify her strong height, yet destroyers would come from me against her, declares Yahweh. A voice, a cry from Babylon, the noise of great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans. For Yahweh is laying Babylon waste and stealing her mighty voice. Their waves roar like many waters, the noise of their voice is raised, for a destroyer has come upon her, upon Babylon. Her warriors are taken, their bows are broken in pieces, for Yahweh is a God of recompense. He will surely repay. I will make drunk her officials and her wise men, her governors, her commanders, and her warriors. They shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake, declares the king whose name is Yahweh of hosts. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the broad wall of Babylon shall be leveled to the ground, and her high gate shall be burned with fire. The peoples labor for nothing, and the nations weary themselves only for fire. The word that Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sariah, the son of Neriah, son of Messiah, when he went with Zedekiah, king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. Sariah was the quartermaster. Jeremiah wrote in a book all the disaster that should come upon Babylon, all these words that are written concerning Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, when you come to Babylon, see that you read all these words and say, O Yahweh, you have said concerning this place that you will cut it off so that nothing shall dwell in it, neither man nor beast, and it shall be desolate forever. When you finish reading this book, tie a stone to it and cast it into the midst of the Euphrates and say, thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster that I am bringing upon her, and they shall become exhausted. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, have mercy on us sinners. For how much <clears throat> of Babylon we have allowed to dwell within us. Grant grace now that we would come out from among her. That we would be the holy people that you've called us to be in Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Begin by calling your attention to the last brief sentence of our text. The last brief sentence of this long chapter. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. Though many of these words date from an earlier portion of Jeremiah's ministry, editorially, they're placed here near the very end, or, or really as the end. We have a historical kind of postscript in chapter 52. These are the words, thus far are the words of Jeremiah. It's, it's that concluding note. These are placed editorially 
as the last words of Jeremiah for good reason. His words to the Judean remnant that was carried into Egypt, though those date later in Jeremiah's life, they were fulfilled earlier. Whereas this word, though it comes from earlier in Jeremiah's life, are fulfilled later. The message that we have before us looks beyond Jeremiah's life. It looks beyond the 70 years of captivity. It looks beyond even the fall of Babylon that it's most immediately speaking to. So that what's spoken of here in its fullness lies ahead of us even now. This is not a sunken word. This is a word that sinks. This word endures while empires fall. This word sunk Babylon. This word will sink Babylon still. This word is built broad and it's built high. Babel was not built as stocky as this word. The higher Babel rose, the more it wobbled. This word rises to the heavens and still it cannot be toppled. This word falls and it crushes nations. It is so massive, not that it sinks in the ocean, but that it displaces the ocean, we will see. This word has sunk an empire, it will sink an empire. Both in mass and in volume, this word is colossal. Chapter 50. It was one of the longest chapters we've come across in Jeremiah. Chapter 51 is the longest chapter in Jeremiah. And remember that together they form a, a single word. The, the heading that you have in chapter 50 is, stands over both chapters 50 and 51. The word that Yahweh spoke concerning Babylon. Chapter 51 is not only the longest chapter in Jeremiah, it's one of the, the longest in the Bible, sixth longest chapter in the Bible by one scholar's counting. Now, there are several ways then we could chop this up. But I think the, the most insightful organization of this is John McKay's divides it into uh, five divisions. And I'll, I'll try to draw your attention to some of the stanzas within each of these divisions and how they're organized just a bit as it's helpful. The first section is the longest, running from verses 1 through 33. What marks it off, a couple of things. One is, every stanza, other than the introductory first two verses, every stanza begins with battle orders. Something like the word concerning Egypt in chapter 46. And so you'll, you'll see, for instance, verse 8. Flee from the midst of Babylon. These are, these are battle orders of retreat. These, there is a battle, but it's spoken to, to a third party, Yahweh's people getting out. Or sharpen the arrows, take up shields, verse 11. Verse 12, set up a standard against the walls of Babylon and make a watch strong. So each of the stanzas of this first section begin with battle orders. And then it has... 
this harvest inclusio. That's a fancy word for verbal parentheses. It has these verbal parentheses that speak of a harvest, both in verse 2 and verse 33. Verse 2, I will send to Babylon winnowers, and they shall winnow winnow her. Verse 33, For thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor at the time when it is trodden, yet a little while and the time of her harvest will come. So you have these verbal parentheses concerning the harvest that mark off this first division. As a general heading, then, not only over this first division, but over verses 1 through 58 as a, as a whole, the poetic, prophetic portion of our text that we're looking at, over 1 through 58, you have this word concerning a destroyer that Yahweh is sending against Babylon. Against Leb Kamai, verse 1. Leb Kamai is an atbash for Chaldea. Atbash is a rudimentary kind of code where you replace the uh, first letter of the alphabet with the corresponding letter from the other side. So, English, you'd replace A with Z, B with Y, and work your way in. As a kind of code, as a means of concealing who's really being spoken of here, it's really quite ridiculous if that was the point. If the point was to conceal information, to say, hey, we want to talk about Babylon, but we don't want Babylon to know that we're talking about her, so we'll refer to her as Leb Kamai. Well, it's quite ridiculous whenever you see he's just said Babylon, against Babylon, against the inhabitants of Leb Kamai. We encountered Atbash already in chapter 25 and verse 26, and in, uh, we'll see it again in this chapter in verse 41. But for some reason at those points, the ESV, rather than translating the Atbash, interprets it. And so instead of reading Shishak, which you might if you have a King James or another translation there, instead of re- reading Shishak in 25 and verse 26 and chapter 51 and verse 41, instead you read the Not the translation, but the interpretation, Babylon. They give the explanation of what is meant there. Why why this use of Atbash in all these instances, all concerning Babylon or Chaldea, uh, an area of of, of Babylon used to reference the whole why? If it's meant to conceal, it's ridiculous. So what might be the point? I'm not certain, but I think I think this is where Jeremiah is wanting to take us. He, he's meaning to ridicule Babylon, as best I can tell. There's something else that's obscured by our English translations that I think will make this plain, that we so easily miss. The word we've read for Babylon throughout the entirety of Jeremiah, throughout all the Old Testament, whenever you see Babylon is the exact same word as used in Genesis chapter 11, referring to Babylon. Babel, excuse me. It's the exact same word. No difference. Babel, Babylon in the Hebrew, no difference. The reason we have Babylon is it's the Greek rendering of Babel that God incorporated to make a a kind of distinction which really is unhelpful. Not only... Was Babylon then built 
in a sense, on the remnants of Babel, there's, there's the same identity that's carried forward by just the word. And I think Jeremiah is, in a sense, now speaking in tongues, in the charismatic sense. He's speaking nonsensical words to communicate the judgment that's to come upon Babel. These destroyers coming upon her, verse 2, are winnowers. God has grown Babylon into what she is, and now she's grown arrogant in her fullness, and He's going to mow her down. She has grown ripe for destruction. She is a vessel of wrath prepared beforehand for destruction, and now He's formed her, now it's time for destruction. And with this, do not miss the landlord for the harvesters. The harvesters are the wicked uh, Medes and Persians, the Medo Persian Empire that's going to topple Babylon. Those are the harvesters. But the landlord has stirred up the destroyer and sent the destroyer. He stirs up, he sins, he's sovereign. He uses wickedness to punish wickedness. He raises up kingdoms, and He brings kingdoms down, and He uses kingdoms to do this. As He explained to Jeremiah, He does this all according to and by His Word. He put His Word in Jeremiah's mouth for this purpose. He told him, chapter 1, verse 10, He's put His Word in His mouth, setting Him over nations and kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Consider. Zoom out from this little vapor in which we exist. And think of the kingdoms that have risen and fallen and fallen and risen throughout the course of human history and Lord over all is our Lord. Right now, our God is building up and tearing down kingdoms. Every one of them He's Lord over. We're not privy to His secret counsels. We don't know all the details. We don't know His timeline. We don't know how everything fits together, but we know the general plan. All the nations Every one of them, all the nations of this earth, will be brought down. The church will endure. The wicked will be judged. The saints will be delivered. That's it. In the next stanza, we'll come back to that. In the next stanza, verses 3 through 5, we see surprised soldiers struck. The archer is not allowed to even bend his bow. The soldier, having donned his armor, is not allowed to stand up. This doesn't seem chivalrous, you might say. Well, that's not the point. The point is God bringing upon the wicked Babylonians their due. This is not about a chivalrous fight between men. It's about the holy God of heaven bringing vengeance upon 
the Babylonians. The Persians are not honorable in this, but God is working His holy justice by it. And the reasons then we're told this destruction comes are twofold in verse 5. One, Israel and Judah have not been forsaken. Two, the Chaldean, the land of the Chaldeans is full of guilt. Judah has not been forsaken. He's punished them. He's chastened her. But praise His name, He does not forget His covenant. His steadfast love, His enduring, unfailing covenant love never ends. He does not forget His promises, though His people continually forget His commands. Second, Babylon is full of guilt against the Holy One of Israel. Note how God pairs again and again judgment and salvation into a single act. Why is this happening? Because God has not forsaken Israel and because the land of the Chaldeans is full of guilt. And so He's doing this single act for both of those reasons. And this is as old as the garden when he promised, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15 Man's hope from the beginning was deliverance by judgment. Salvation was to come by a crushed skull. Judgment was certain to flow in the wake of sin. The surprise was that God would use that judgment not only to deliver vengeance on His enemies, but to deliver salvation to His people. And even when salvation comes to sinners, it comes not in contrast to judgment, but by judgment as it fell on a substitute in their place. In the next stanza, battle orders go out to Judah to flee and forsake Babylon because his vengeance, his vindication have come, verses 6 through 10. And this is why it's important to keep the first, the, the primary and secondary figures straight. Flee from the midst of Babylon. Let everyone save his life. God raises up kingdoms. He brings them down. Don't miss the landlord for the harvesters. Don't just look for the harvesters that are on the up and think, I'll side with them. Babylon's the world power gaining prominence. I'll go with Babylon. Don't try to read the signs of which kingdom's on the up and then declare your allegiances. While Judah was to reside in Babylon for a time... They were not to allow Babylon to take up residence in them. This prophecy came decades before they enacted it physically. And before, even whenever, they, even whenever Babylon fell initially, remember it fell peacefully under Cyrus... It wasn't until several years even after that that the city was destroyed. And so, before they ever 
obeyed in any way these commands physically, spiritually they were to be a reality. Flee. Go out. This command is akin to repent. Turn. This command is not a seasonal command. It is evergreen for the saints. Concerning Babylon, a voice from heaven cries out in Revelation 18, 4-5, Come out of her, my people, lest you partake in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. If you're in any doubt of the right nowness of this command, listen to 2 Corinthians 6, where Paul is quoting Leviticus 26. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Here, the reason for these commands is they're being given in, in the fulfillment immediately of what's to take place concern judgment falling. Babylon was this cup, this golden cup, Verses 7 and 8, that was being used by God to make the nations drink of His wrath. But now the cup is fallen, shattered, useless. And then you see someone wailing for her in this state in verse 8. Well for her, take balm for her pain, perhaps she may be healed. Who's, who's wailing for Babylon? Who's... Who's wanting to see her healed? Well, they're among this same party, verse 9. We would have healed Babylon, but she was not healed. Forsake her and let us go. The ones calling for her healing are the same ones who are to forsake her. In other words, you're seeing worked out the command in verse 6 of why it needs to be given. Flee. Don't seek her well-being. Don't seek her life. Run for your own life. Who are they? Forsake us, let us each go to his own country. You might initially be thinking, all the nations that Babylon has subdued are now ready to go to their own country. This is not nationalities each going to their own country Though this is a nationality with men going to their own countryside, if you will. That's made plain in verse 10. Yahweh has brought about our vindication. Come, let us declare in Zion the work of Yahweh our God. These are the people then we see working out this inclination to 
seek Babylon's welfare, and a turn from that to flee. Rejoicing in Yahweh bringing about a vindication of His name and His people. Her judgment reaches as high as the heavens, verse 9. As high as her sins, so high will be the judgment that falls upon her. And those who hope in Him, vindicated, declaring His redemption in the city of their covenant God. The next stanza running from verses 11 through 19. Notably what's happening here, we see judgment fall upon her idols and her idolaters. The destroyer is to sharpen his arrow, take up the shields. And now the destroyer is identified, the Medes. But the idea isn't that God wants to build up the Medes. This is not happening because his main objective is to break down Babylon, build up the Medes. His main objective is the vengeance for his temple. And so a standard is set up against the walls of Babylon. For Yahweh is going to bring upon her what he has planned. Verse 12, For Yahweh has both planned and done what he spoke concerning the inhabitants of Babylon. God doesn't speak idly. In a sense, all of God's words are verbs. They're all action words. They do. And so Babylon who dwelt by many waters, rich in treasures, is going to come to an end. The Euphrates flowed through the heart of Babylon. And there were a number, there was, first there was a large moat that directed uh, a water around the city, protecting it. But there were over, that we know of, there are 20 named canals that we know of that carried water all throughout the city. And, and you can see, perhaps something, and whenever uh, Cyrus took the city, he did so by cutting off the water flow, which was her source of life, and entering through the main waterway. The one who does his word, swearing to destroy it, verses 14 through 16, is the Creator. And this sets you up for a comparison between their idols and Him. It's in in light of this that you see their idols are dumb. That they are, those who make them are fools. They do not speak, verses 17 through 18. He is the creator. In contrast to their relationship then to their idols, which cannot speak, cannot deliver. They have no breath, no life. They bring destruction on both themselves and those who worship them. See Israel's relationship to Yahweh, verse 19. Not like these idols is he who is the portion of Jacob. For he is the one who formed all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. Yahweh of hosts is his name. They are in his inheritance and he is their inheritance. He is their God and they are his people. Babylon... In contrast, verse 20, next, next section you have here, 20 through 26, Babylon is merely a hammer, a war club. 
He has used her as the instrument of his wrath, but they know nothing of his redemption. Babylon doesn't march over the nations the way that Israel marched into Canaan. With Israel, God was building. With Babylon, he is destroying. The mountain of Babylon that he's dropped upon the nations, he now breaks. She erupts like a volcano with, volcano with such force that of her stones, nothing will be built. She will be desolate and a waste, a burnt mountain, verse 26. Babylon followed Babel, but there will be nothing to follow Babylon. And everything that she is a figure of will one day be brought down to rise no more. While there are warriors without Babylon, there are women within Babylon, verses 27 through 30. As the trumpets of the Medes sound, the land of Babylon trembles. Her men become women, verse 27 through 30. Messenger after messenger is coming to the king from all over the city. Destruction is all around them, verses 31 through 32, because the time of her harvest has come and the wicked are being trodden down on the threshing floor. Saints, a harvest is coming. Yahweh's sickle is sharp. The wheat will be gathered. The ungodly tread like grapes under his feet. Revelation 14, 14 through 20 we read, Then I looked and behold a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come. For the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. He who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had, a sharp, had the sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and the blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. As this first section, we just concluded, is marked by this harvest inclusio, verses 2 and 33. The next is marked by a devourer inclusio, verse 34. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me. Verse 44. I will punish Bel in Babylon... And take out of his mouth what he has swallowed. The nation shall no longer flow to him. The wall of Babylon has fallen. Nebuchadnezzar is likened to this glutton drunk, drinking, devouring the people of God. And Zion is lamenting over this. Verses 34 and 35. Nebuchadnezzar swallows her down like a monster. 
we read. It's a peculiar word. It's used about 14 times in the Hebrew Scriptures. Most often translated serpent or dragon. So you have a dragon trying to devour the people of God. Does this sound familiar? Revelation 12.4 speaks of the dragon who stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that she, when she bore the, her child, he might devour it. So Nebuchadnezzar then is, is this icon, this representative of, of the forces of evil at enmity with the seed of the woman, seeking to devour that seed. Now, this is here, then, not just a lament of the people. This is to be the people's lament. You remember at times, Jeremiah has not just lamented, he's received a lament from Yahweh. Here, the people are given a lament. Let them say this. Let Jerusalem say. Let the inhabitant of Zion say. Can the saints pray in this way? The violence done to me and to my kinsmen be upon, ba- on, on, upon Babylon? Can they pray in this way? Let the inhabitant of Zion say so. My blood be upon the Chaldeans, uh, uh, upon the inhabitants of Chaldea. Can the saints pray in this way? God says, let Jerusalem say this. The perfected saints in heaven pray in this way. Revelation 6. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. There was not a rebuke. There was rather instead a giving of a white robe and comfort rest a little longer. God not only commands this kind of prayer, He not only commends this kind of prayer, He promises He will hear it. Verse 36, therefore thus says Yahweh, behold, I will plead your cause and take vengeance for you. If we fail to pray in this way, I'm afraid we're cosmically naive. We know nothing of the real history of this world, the rising up and tearing down of kingdoms and the future of where all of that is going. We don't understand the word of Yahweh. I'm afraid we don't pray in this kind of way, because we don't want to be delivered from Babylon. We've gotten cozy and comfortable in Babylon. We've resided in Babylon so long that now Babylon is residing in us. We don't want to get out because of Babylon because Babylon's gotten into us. But for those who do cry out, those who long to be delivered from this body of death in which sin resides, those who long to be delivered from this earth as it sits heavy under sin's curse, those who long to be delivered from the wicked and wickedness, those who do long, God promises not only will He act as their attorney 
pleading their cause. He will act as judge taking vengeance for them. And so these lions that are growling and ready to devour, verse 38, are made to drink from the cup of Yahweh's hand. And having become drunk, they are now no longer these roaring lions. They are docile like a lamb to be led to the slaughter. And then we're told that, verses 41 through 43, that God will flood her dry. Babylon becomes this whore among the nations. The sea comes up on Babylon. She's covered with its tumultuous waves. But then you're told that our cities become a horror, a land of drought and a desert. How do these two images go together? Well, you need to understand that God is pulling upon her mythology. Marduk didn't create ex nihilo out of nothing like Yahweh did. The legend is that Marduk defeated the ancient, chaotic, uh, primeval force uh, known as Tiamat, also portrayed as a sea dragon. The, the oceans and its waves, similar to how the, the, the Jew viewed them, were this image of chaos and, and disturbance. It's striking, as you survey world religions, how many of them think that they're against the dragon whenever they're really carrying out his plans unaware. Everything they thought their God had conquered is brought upon them in this. In one way, they're acting as the dragon, and then, as judgment, God ordains that instead of being the dragon's instrument, they will be the dragon's feast. They'll be plunged into the waters of chaos, and then that way our land becomes a desert. And so, verse 44, Bel is punished. Bel is simply, functions in the same way we see Bel, B-A-A-L, does for the Canaanite. It's a word that meant Lord. It could refer to a number of gods, though it, it chiefly referred to their chief god, Bel. Bel is Marduk. Now you see the disguises off. Who had devoured the people of Yahweh? Verse 34, it was Nebuchadnezzar. But now, he's removing from Bel's mouth what he swallowed. Saints, the dragon bit off more than he could chew when he tried to devour the child. And if he could not swallow the child, the seed... Rest assured, he will not swallow the bride. In the next section, the people of God are called on once again to go out to flee. Verse 45. Go out from the midst of her, my people. Let everyone save his life from the fierce anger of Yahweh. They're to do this for their salvation. And though you're thinking this, this of course just means physically, in, in an immediate sense, whenever the city was destroyed by Xerxes, but long before that, again, this remnant needed to flee spiritually, divorcing themselves from Babylon, or else 
whenever it came time to leave, they would not escape the fierce anger of Yahweh. James 4.4 makes plain the necessity of going out from Babylon saying, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with this world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. But there's as much comfort as there is conviction in Yahweh's commands. Look at verse 46. Let not your heart be faint and be not fearful at the report heard in the land. Obedience to God's word should result in peace and not fear. If you hear God's prophecies concerning the destruction of Babylon, the destruction of this world, and it strikes fear into your hearts, one of two things has gone wrong. Perhaps a mixture of both. One, the reason why it strikes terror into your heart is if you are not a friend of this world, perhaps you are too friendly with this world. Two, I think this is often the case, the ministers failed to make plain to you that the destruction of this world means the deliverance of the saints. Too many, whenever they deal with prophecies such as this, dispensationalists in particular, want to chop everything into so many pieces that you fail to see that the knee bone is connected to the thigh bone. Deliverance is not a cousin five times removed from destruction. They are intimately wed. Whenever destruction strikes this earth, God will kiss His saints with deliverance. And so, let not your heart be faint. Do not be fearful of the report heard in the land. Yes, there will be wars and rumors of wars, as our Lord said. But days are coming. Verse 47, But therefore, behold, days are coming when I will punish the images of Babylon. These days have already come. These coming days have already burst into the present with Christ's resurrection. All things are being put under His feet. And one day this will be made manifest. Babylon will be put to shame, and the saints will sing. Verse 48, Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them shall sing for joy over Babylon. The day of her destruction is the day of their salvation, and so they sing. Right now our singing is one of joyful anticipation, but also one of longing. We sing in harmony with this earth right now. As we will sing in harmony with her then. Right now, you get a sense of the song in Romans 8. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So there's a reason for joy and anticipation. But listen. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. One day, we'll join a new heaven and a new earth in a hallelujah chorus. That word hallelujah only occurs four times in the New Testament. All of them in Revelation 19 in reference to the fall of Babylon. Revelation 19, 1-8, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are just, true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth through her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke of her goes up forever and ever, and the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants who fear Him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, and bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Whenever God strikes this earth with destruction, He will kiss His saints with deliverance. And their song will be, Hallelujah. And so again, they're commanded, verse 50, to go out, don't stand still. And this going out is from Babylon is to be done with a remembering of Jerusalem. Some fool once said, you can be so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. Translated into our context, so it would be like telling them, you can be so Jerusalem-minded, you're of no Babylonian good. True, one can be wrongly heavenly-minded, but at least they're aiming in the right direction. If someone has bad form, it does them no good to tell them to try to shoot some in the other goal and see if that helps. Score the other team a few points and see if that helps. Paul said to set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. If you think that means thinking of angels instead of apple pie, well, you've just got bad form. But keep reading the Bible and it will learn you. It will teach you that the longing to be with Christ 
is a longing to sing with the heavens and the earth over a destroyed Babylon. It's a longing to sing in a new body, in a new creation, in the wake of the fullness of God's redemption that He's promised in Christ. It's a longing we know even now as we taste more and more of the age to come as we see the people of God conform to the image of Christ. And we feast at the Lord's table anticipating the marriage supper of the Lamb. In the coming days, Babylon's idolatry will be judged, verse 52. Despite all the heavenly glory she has sought for herself, verse 53, destroyers will come. And that leads into this this final poetic, prophetic portion in verses 54 through 58. It's a kind of reprise bringing us back to verse 1, this destroyer. This time, Babylon laments. A voice, a cry from Babylon. She has roared like a lion and now she bleats like a lamb. How awesome is her destruction? Verse 58. The broad wall of Babylon shall be leveled to the ground and her high gate shall be burned with fire. Babylon was surrounded by these two impressive walls. Her outer wall, 12 feet thick. The inner wall, 21 feet thick. Enough for chariots to pass by one another. It matters not how big you build on this earth, how mighty your fortifications. You cannot withstand heaven's assault. Psalm 127. Unless... The Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless Yahweh watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for He gives to His beloved sleep. The final section transitions us out of poetry into prose, prepares us for the concluding uh, postscript that we have in chapter 52. And in this way, this oracle concerning Babylon looks like Jeremiah in miniature. You go from poetry to history. And the reason I believe it looks this way is because this oracle against Babylon is a little book itself. And it's different from the big book of Jeremiah in this. The focus of the big book is Judah, and now this little book that we see at the end, the focus of it is Babylon. So within the book of the oracles against the nations, which were set apart as a distinct book, now we have a book within that book, published solo at one point, just concerning Babylon. In the fourth year of Zedekiah, Jeremiah is to command Sarah, who, as best we can gather from the genealogies here, is the brother of Barak which makes this all the more striking. Because if you remember, Barak received a very similar command earlier. Barak had those 23 years worth of of words, chiefly concerning Jerusalem, that he was to go into the temple and speak, declaring Jerusalem's destruction. And now his brother is to go to Babylon 
and take this book that's been compiled and read it concerning Babylon. And then we have a final sign act. Tie it to a rock, throw it in the Euphrates, because in that way, Babylon will sink. Babylon will sink into the watery chaos of judgment to rise no more. By God's word, Babylon will fall. By God's word, Jerusalem will rise. God speaks and nations are being broken down. God speaks and His holy nation, His people, are being built up. God will speak and the kingdoms of this world will be plucked. God will speak and the kingdom of heaven will be planted. With that, I leave you with Hebrews 12, 18-29, trusting that its relation and its application will be plain. You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet with a voice whose word made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking to you. He speaks and nations fall. He speaks and they're built up. He's speaking here. Go out from among her. Do not refuse Him who is speaking to you. For if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will they escape, will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. At that time, His voice shook the earth, but now He has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Father, praise, glory, and honor. Thanks be to you. That because Christ bore judgment in our stead, Judgment will now fall as our salvation. Thank you for giving us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
and for promising your voice will one day resonate and break down sin, sinners, and your curse upon them for their sin. And it will make all things new. A habitation of righteousness where your glory illuminates all. Father, divorce our hearts more and more from this Babylon that is to be shaken and anchor them more and more to the Jerusalem that cannot be. In Christ's name we ask this. Amen.